0: The city Give him your best and nothing like the rest Passing every test You know he's the one, yeah Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome once again to the dopest church on the planet. I'm so glad that you guys are with us today. You are streaming with us. You're part of our digital community today and we are bringing something exciting. Of course, this month we have been mixing it up and doing something new and different. And so we've been fusing like sermon and documentary together to be able to communicate the essence of the social gospel. And the social gospel motivates us, animates us to take our faith, take our conversion experience with Jesus Christ, cause that to animate us to do the good works that God has called us to do. Uh, And so we've been fusing again, documentary and sermon to help do that. And I'm excited about what this installment is about. We're jumping into Luke chapter four, verse 18. I'm going to jump into a quick word of prayer, and then we'll jump right into the text. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for all that we have experienced so far in this service. I pray, God, that you will minister through me to these, your people, in a way that is real and relevant. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look look at Luke chapter four, verse 18. The title of today's message is What Christian Faith Demands of Us. And we're gonna be looking at this passage um, where Jesus says that the spirit of the Lord is upon him. Luke chapter four, verse 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. To set the oppressed free. I want to talk about what the Christian faith demands of us, what Christian faith demands of us. Luke's gospel is anti-empire and anti-oppression. In essence, you could argue that Luke. Luke's gospel is a manifesto for those who would be citizens of the kingdom of God and would trade in their allegiances to the empires of this world for the empire of God. The empire of God carries with it a social ethic, a a way of relating to each other, a way of organizing our society where nobody is exploited and nobody is abused and nobody is cheated and nobody is subject to anybody, but all are subject the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I have a question for you this morning. How should the citizens of the kingdom of God or the empire of God who happen to participate in the construction of a democratic society in America, how should they shape their society? How should the neighborhoods and cities and schools and country in which they hold democratic sway, how should they function? I want to submit to you today that they should through practice and they should through policy work diligently to create a site, a society that is modeled after the ethics of the empire of God. In Luke chapter four, Jesus has returned to his hometown of Nazareth, that there is nothing that is necessarily exceptional about this occasion. He is a poor rabbi. He is a day laborer carpenter who is returning to his poor town of his upbringing. He decides on the Sabbath day to enter this little humble synagogue of the town. He is invited as a rabbi to read from the scroll. And as he unfurls the scroll, he unfurls it to what we now know as Isaiah chapter 61. And he stops there and he reads the words from Isaiah 61 And here's what he says. He reads, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. After finishing, he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I find it interesting that Luke does not tell us the scripture that Jesus is said to have read in any other synagogue, but but he does ensure that in his narrative concerning Jesus, that he writes to whom he refers to as the most excellent Theophilus, that he would attach this particular text to Jesus's understanding of his own ministry. If, if I had time today, I would spend time providing analysis to the question, what is it that Luke wants Theophilus to understand about the ministry of Jesus? By offering this particular story, I, I would go all into some exegesis and, and help you hermen, hermeneutically and homiletically understand what exactly is going on there between Theophilus and, Paul, and Luke. But more importantly, what I want to take the little bit of time that I have with you today to do for the sake of this time together is simply raise this question. What is it that the Holy Spirit is saying to us today through Luke offering us this particular passage and this particular take on Jesus? I want to suggest to you for the sake of this sermon that Luke is telling us that the ministry of Jesus was not merely individual in nature. That that Jesus's ministry is not merely about personal soul salvation, but that Luke wants us to know that Jesus's ministry was all about the needed social redemption. Luke is effectively trying to tell us that Jesus was not merely concerned with the hereafter, but rather that Jesus was concerned with the right now that people face day to day. And so what Luke does here is Luke lays out for us that Jesus was concerned for the poor, for the prisoner, for the infirm, and the oppressed. And I want to suggest to you, I want to suggest to you today that as Christians, It is our duty to be able to work proactively at creating a society that is anti-poverty, that is anti-mass incarceration, and that is anti-oppression, because this is the way that Jesus himself understood his ministry. Let me say to you, first of all, that Christian faith demands that we be anti-poverty. Jesus says that his ministry is to be good news to the poor. Here, Jesus is not using poverty as simply a metaphor, but what a cruel gesture that would be if Jesus were actually doing that for him to stand amongst the poor and the exploited and the oppressed and to use their circumstances that they daily are burdened by for him to use their circumstances as a means to point to their spiritual sin and their spiritual weakness. No, Jesus is not talking here about spiritual poverty. He is not talking about those who are bankrupt in the soul or imprisoned by sin or spiritually blind or oppressed by sin. No, Jesus is talking literally about those who have found themselves on the wrong side of the sins of society. You know, those who have found themselves inflicted by humankind's inhumanity to other human beings. Those who by losing their sight have lost their livelihood. That those who by losing their sight have lost self-sufficiency and the ability to care for their families. In a very literal sense, Jesus says that his ministry and mission are anti-poverty. Now, if the ministry and mission of Jesus was anti-poverty, surely the work of his followers of his church needs to be anti-poverty. Someone has used the analogy, and I love it, the analogy of cleaning up a river in a small community. One begins the work by cleaning up that debris that you can see that is floating right there in the river. But but then one discovers that there is some unseen debris that is under the water that also needs to be cleaned up. After cleaning that, one discovers that in only a matter of time, the river once again becomes dirty And polluted. And so very soon one realizes that to properly address the concerns of the river, one has to go upstream to deal with the source of that pollution. One must deal with the dumping by the neighboring town that is upstream and and one must address the factories upstream that are dumping into the waterway. And one must go and address the, the factories that are polluting the air and that are causing acid rain to fall down and pollute that river. Soon one realizes that the dirty river in the small community, that river is not merely a symptom of 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 what is going on in that small town. No, it is a symptom of the macro problem and it can only be addressed if the system that created it is also addressed. Yeah, to be anti-poverty. It's not only to give turkeys away at Thanksgiving and, and toys away at Christmas, because when we do that, all that we are doing is addressing the symptoms and providing some sort of symptom relief. And that's temporary because soon after the pollution of poverty will once again wash over the people and their lives will once again be in the same condition. No, to be anti-poverty is to go upstream. It is to go upstream, to go and to deal with the systems that contributed to this poverty. As a Christian, to be anti-poverty is to lobby and vote for policies that are aimed at uplifting the poor, even if these policies don't benefit you personally. As a Christian, to be anti-poverty is to consider the wages that we pay to the employees of our businesses, You see, no person should work every day and not earn enough money to put a decent roof over their heads, clothes on their backs and food in their refrigerator. As a Christian business owner, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the capitalist principles of the bottom line must become subservient to the Christian principles of loving your neighbor as yourself. Not only that, but the Christian faith not only demands that we be anti-poverty, but it also demands that we be anti-mass incarceration. Now, there is this strange similarity that I see between the prison system of the first century Palestine and 21st century America. You see, in that day, people were put to death for capital offenses, and so therefore, the people that were in prison were not in prison because they murdered somebody or, or, or any other capital offense. The people were there really for the pettier offenses, including debt. Effectively, in that day, as in this one, poverty was criminalized. You see, today in America, America leads the world not in educational attainment, not in quality of living for its citizens, not in health outcomes and lifespans. No, America today leads the world in imprisonment per capita. But as I think about these statistics, I hear the words of our Lord in Luke chapter four ringing in my ear. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for who? For the prisoners. Yeah, yes. The Christian faith demands that we put forth efforts to put the big business of imprisonment out of business and and replace it with investments in jobs and investments in education and investments in opportunity and investments in mental health. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But let me say to you thirdly and finally, the Christian faith demands that we be anti-oppression. Dr. King said that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. He said that we are caught up in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Yes, to be anti-oppression is to honor the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Notice the very active words that are used here by Jesus. It is not simply enough to care for the oppressed in a way that helps to alleviate middle class guilt. No, that is not enough. The mission of Jesus and likewise, his followers must be the full liberation of the oppressed, as he says, to set the oppressed Free. The Christian faith demands that we not allow freedom to be a luxury that is simply afforded to some when it is actually a right that is endowed by the Creator on everybody. Therefore, in the words of Dr. King, I close by saying, Let freedom ring. But, but let me add this twist to it let it ring in every ghetto, in every body, in the non unionized workplaces of middle America and the fruit fields of the Southwest. Let freedom ring in the wage protests of those that are fighting for 15 and in the activist marches demanding the abolition of the American policing system. Let freedom ring. But let it ring in the seedy dark corners where the innocent are sex trafficked and let it ring where the marginalized are being stripped of their rights to vote. Let freedom ring. Letting it and making freedom ring is the duty of every Christian. In the words of Jesus Christ, let us work the works of him who sent us while it is day.